Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to another amazing episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I had a great conversation this week with Eric Metaxas. Eric is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Bonhoeffer, Amazing Grace, Martin Luther, and several other books, including his latest, Seven More Men and the Secret to Their Greatness. His writings have appeared in most every major news outlet, and he has been a cultural commentator on CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC. Eric is also the host of the Eric Metaxas Radio Show which is a daily nationally syndicated show in 120 U.S. cities, also televised on TBN and available on YouTube. So on this week's episode, Eric and I discuss how challenges and crises can shape and lead people into greatness. Eric reveals the evangelist who is so prolific that he, quote, makes Billy Graham and the Apostle Paul look like lazy agnostics, unquote. We talk about the value of wisdom and discernment while expressing one's faith to others. And Eric also shares two things we should do in America in regard to religious freedom. It was such a fun and insightful interview. So let's dive right into my conversation with Eric Metaxas. Eric, it is so good to have you with us. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to, great to be with you. Yes. Now, Eric, you live um, in what is... Uh, currently the global kind of epicenter of the pandemic. Uh, you live in Manhattan. Yep. So first, um, how are you and your family doing in the midst of, of this crisis? Well, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing because um, when you're when you're in lockdown, uh, obviously you don't really know how anybody else is doing because you only see the same, you know, couple of faces and the same walls and stuff. So it's a we- it's such a weird thing for all of us. Right. And um I hope by the time this airs, we will have uh, that, or that will have changed. But it's been a blessing for us because more family time. Uh, I can't travel, so I'm you know losing tons of money from speaking engagements. So that's hard. But I get to spend time at home, which is a huge blessing. I've been doing a lot of writing. I'm working on a new book, um, and I w- we live near. Uh, the field hospital set up by Samaritan's Purse. It's it's uh, almost across the street here in Central Park, and it's such a blessing uh, to see what they have been doing here in New York City. It just it really war- it warms my heart to know that they that they are here uh, serving the sick. It's it's pretty awesome. I I visited there twice. So you know we're just uh, we're living our lives as best we can, but we know God is going to do something in all of this. I don't have any doubt about it. He's working right now. Amen. Amen. That's the beauty of God. He's He's a redeemer, and so He takes you know that which is is uh, hard and 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 painful. And we've just been reminded of this, you know, just in uh, you know coming through Holy Week, um, you know, the pain and suffering of the cross. God redeemed on Easter Sunday um, with with new life. So um, yeah, praying along with you in in how God is at work through this and redeeming this. Yes, amen. Eric, you have uh, the great privilege of researching the lives of a number of amazing people, and and then you share what you uncover with the world through, through your many books. Uh, but before we dive into your latest book, some people may not know that you also have the incredible opportunity to interview a number of amazing people on your radio show, um, yeah. which— 
you know, I, I, from personal experience, I know it's just a wonderful, wonderful way to live life, right? So, Eric, I was wondering if you could uh, share with us who were a few of your most memorable or cherished interviews? That's, boy, is that tough. I've been doing it for five years now, but in the last two years, it's also become a TV show. Uh, it airs, part of it airs on TBN on the weekend, but my YouTube channel for the Eric Metaxas show, we put almost everything on there and it's filmed in a gorgeous studio, except when we're, you know, on lockdown like this. But it, it, it's cool to do it as a TV show because you get to see the, you know, the facial expressions and all that kind of stuff. So I always encourage people to go to uh, the Eric Metaxas show on YouTube and watch it because I have had some of the most wonderful uh, guests. I mean, and I run the gamut. It's not officially a Christian show. So I, I will have all kinds of people on because I want non-believers to tune in. You know, I will have uh, comedians on or I will have uh, filmmakers on or whatever. Of course, there's a lot of Christian content. There's some political conversations, but it's not one of those shows that focuses on that. I call it the show about everything because I want to kind of cover everything. But Jesus is alive in me and I hope he comes out uh, in the conversations that I have with those who don't yet know him. But I had just such a crazy eclectic mix that I don't know where to begin. I mean, I've had, uh, you know, almost every major Christian leader that I can get my hands on or that comes through New York, you know, Franklin Graham uh, and, uh, you know, down the line, Max Lucado, anybody you can kind of think of if they're coming through New York, I try to to grab them. But I have had actors and and actresses and uh, film directors on and uh, I've had Morgan Freeman on. Uh, he did a thing on National Geographic on, you know, about God. And I thought, well, this will be a fun conversation. Right. So it's kind of teasing him. Uh, I te- that's my love language. I tease people, you know. <laughs> so I was teasing him about reincarnation and what would a frog have to do morally to work its way up the scale, you know, <laughs> and just teasing people the way I do. But I tell you, uh, you the thing about this uh, radio TV show that I say to people is is that the, some of the guests have been so wonderful that it kills me that I can't, you know, put it on CBS or NBC or on Fox News or something because they really are people you're not hearing from so much uh, in the mainstream. And that's why I do the show to get their voices out there. I've had a lot of amazing scientists, Dr. John Lennox, mm-hmm. uh, who is one of the most brilliant Christian apologists of our time, if not the most brilliant, and to talk to him about science, to talk to Stephen Meyer with the Discovery Institute or James Tour of Rice University uh, or Rosalind Picard of MIT. These are all genius scientists who are people of profound Christian faith. And uh, to be able to talk to them about their faith uh, and their science and, you know, th- that kind of thing. So I really do. I run the gamut and it's usually a lot of fun. I like to joke with people when you're talking about serious stuff. Uh, it's good to joke. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy um, I've, I've listened in and, and watched on YouTube, actually, um, some of your conversations with some of my favorite people. Uh, I know you had Ravi Zacharias has been on with you, right? And T. Wright. This is the problem. Is yeah. that like you know, I've had <laughs> such giants on that I'm not even remembering Ravi Zacharias and N. T. Wright. Right. I had on uh, N. T. Wright a couple of times. Uh, Ravi was amazing. I'd never heard his life story. I always mm. want to know people's life story. And there was stuff. There was stuff that he shared. And people can watch this. I mean, if you go to my YouTube channel for the Eric Texas Show, it's all still there. You know, and I want people to know that it's there. But his story growing up. 
of of how he came out of atheism and trying to kill himself. I I had somehow never heard that. Right. Um, I have had people on um, Brian Head Welsh, the musician, you know, yeah. that the, the death metal, uh, you know, for uh, a guitar player for Corn, and he came on and shared about his experience of Jesus coming into his life. He was a meth addict. I mean, mind blowing miracle stories. And I had, um, you know, the the, uh, the there's a guy that he wrote a book called The Shot Caller. His name's Casey Diaz. He was perhaps the most bloodthirsty, violent uh, Latino gang member in Los Angeles. I mean, when you hear his story, it is scary. Mm. And he had a conversion experience that is I'm telling you, it is one of the most astounding. If you want to know if Jesus is alive, <laughs> you listen to his story on my program because, you know, I am dying to hear these stories. And so uh, I, I got him to tell that story. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I just said, this is God is alive. And there's a we have a lot of those stories of, of people telling how they came to faith. One of the things that I do on the program, too, I like to give voices, as I said, to people who don't get a voice in the mainstream. There are a lot of people that have come out of the gay lifestyle. They have miraculous stories of being in that lifestyle and being brought out miraculously. Uh, Beckett Cook is somebody that I had on recently. People need to know there is hope for people uh, that feel trapped in that lifestyle. And so I've had a number of those folks on. Uh, I've had a number of people talking about the, the unborn issue. Mm -hmm. One of my friends, an actress, uh, April Hernandez, she, uh, her story is in my book on miracles. I wrote a book on miracles. I remember asking her, do you have any miracle stories? Cause we were working on a project and she said, well, yeah. And she tells me this story and it was so moving. I said, April, I got to put that in my book. And once I got the radio program and the TV program, I said, you've got to come on. People need to know what God is capable of doing and the healing that he brought to her and gave her an open vision. And it, it's just stunning stuff. So I, we have a lot of that on. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, and I love I love the fact that, um, like you said, it's it's a little bit of everything. So you have the opportunity to um, engage and intrigue people who are not yet convinced that Christ is Lord, right? So, so that's that that's, opening and invitation. And then they get right. to hear these cool stories from all these different people from all different walks of life. Oh, and, no, I, I try yeah. to do that. I work hard to do that. I mean, I, I've had on, you know, secular novelists. I had on the novelist Mary Carr uh, uh, talking. She, she's some kind of a Christian, but I had her on about three years ago. More recently, I had Amor Tolls, who wrote a book called The Gentleman in Moscow, a fantastic novel, mm. absolutely fantastic. Uh, I, I don't believe he's any kind of a believer, but, you know, I, I do... I often have folks like that on the show to kind of lure in people who are just listening or whatever. And then if they listen the next day, they may hear a miracle story or they may hear a Ravi Zacharias. So I really do mix it up uh, intentionally. Yeah, I love that. Love that, brother. So as I mentioned, um, you have just this wonderful way of bringing to life the experiences of people through your books. And, and I'll tell you, Eric, I remember when I first received Bonhoeffer. It was a gift from... Uh, a lady in the church that that I pastored, and uh, she gave it to me. She actually is a pediatrician, and she was up in the Northwest for uh, took a few weeks off because her father had some health issues, and she spent a few weeks with him up in the Northwest. And they bought Bonhoeffer up there, and they read through it together. And so when she returned um, 
home to, to Arizona where I was pastoring, she immediately bought me a copy and brought it to me, you know, the first Sunday she was back. And and um, I remember I just devoured it. It, uh, it was fantastic. Just the way that you write um, is so inviting and so encouraging. And, and I learned so many things in Bonhoeffer, even just about generally World War II that, you know, going through college and undergraduate graduate school, I didn't even know. You know, I mean, all these little revelations. You just have a way well, of doing that. I, I feel like the Lord kind of made me a teacher in a way that I enjoy communicating things to people. And I have a, a, an innate sense of what people don't know. And I, I want to make clear that kind of thing. And you can't tell the story of Bonhoeffer unless you really sort of explain right. what was happening in World War II, what was happening in Germany, why did it happen? When you explain that stuff and people understand it, it makes the story of Bonhoeffer that much more uh, clear and vital and uh, impressive and inspiring. And so I, I try to do that in all my books, you know, just to, to teach around the edges so that it makes sense. It gives context. Yeah, I love that. You have, you have such a gift in, in doing that. And your newest book, um, it's entitled Seven More Men in the Secret to Their Greatness. And I know this is a follow-up to, uh, to the, the original that you wrote about um, uh, seven men. Yes. Amazing biographies in this book, Eric. Um, so go ahead and share with our audience the seven men that you selected for this, this volume. And then can you tell us a little bit of why, you know, what, what sparked these seven guys to, to make it into this, this book? Well, um, when I wrote my my book on uh, William Wilberforce, Amazing Grace, mm. I never planned to write a biography in my life. Uh, that led to me thinking maybe I should write one more about Bonhoeffer because I'd heard his story. My my mom grew up in Germany during that time, and um, I really didn't ever expect to write another biography. It's a huge effort, and um, at some point. I thought, well, what if I write a book of seven biographies? Because some of these stories are too important not to know. Mm -hmm. So even though I can't write a 300, 400, 500, 600 page book, it doesn't mean I can't tell the story in a chapter, you know, because it's just way too important to miss. So I wrote the first book, Seven Men, you know, kind of based on that. I thought, who, who are seven people whose stories need to be told? And the same thing with seven women. But of course, after you do that, you keep thinking of more people and you say, there is no doubt that uh, I've got to tell that story and that story and that story. <laughs> so in this book, I uh, the first one uh, is it's all chronological order. So the first one is Martin Luther. I wrote a 500 page book on Martin Luther, which I'm very proud of. But I know a lot of people aren't going to wade into that. But you need to know his story. It's right. an amazing story. So that's the first chapter. The second chapter is George Whitfield. I've written about him in my book, If You Can Keep It. Uh, of course, that's not a biography. That's a story about America. But he was an evangelist in the 18th century without any question, the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. There is nobody can, can come close. He makes Billy Graham and and uh, the Apostle Paul look like lazy agnostics. That's my <laughs> Like there's nothing like George Whitfield. And frankly, we wouldn't have the United States of America if not for George Whitfield. And when I write about that, I'm, I'm trying to communicate that in my book, if you can keep it, and also in this chapter in this book, that you need to know the role that he played because it is huge. It's equal to George Washington. A lot of people say you, that there's no way. You read the story and you will see there is a way. It's true. And the scandal is that we're not teaching this in our public schools, that we're not even teaching this probably in our private schools or Christian schools or Christian colleges. People need to know the role that Christian faith played, that the role the gospel played in leading uh, to a people who believed that they could govern themselves uh, and who understood 
that at the heart of the gospel is this idea called liberty and how it affects us and what kind of a government would come out of that. So George Whitfield is the, is the second one. The third uh, chapter is on George Washington Carver. I didn't know his story so well. He was a, a black American who uh, was born during the Civil War, uh, never should have survived, lived through absolute hell. Um, absolute hell. Uh, when you think about racism, you know, today we throw that term around like it's meaningless. He lived through some really tough stuff, but he was a Christian and a very humble man of God. And this black American at a time when, you know, they were being treated that way, taught himself science and other things and became one of the greatest scientists we have ever seen in the world uh, and certainly in the United States, but it's because of his humility and his perseverance. So it's such a moving story. I have to tell you, I was thrilled to discover him and to include him in the book. A lot of people who don't know him will be, will be amazed. Um, then I talk about general William Booth. He founded the Salvation Army in England in the mid uh, 19th century. Uh, a lot of how the church approaches working with the poor today Right. Uh, Samaritan's Purse right here in Central Park. I mean, all of this stuff kind of comes out of General William Booth and, and the Salvation Army. It was, a, it was a way to evangelize doing good works and mixing the two together in a beautiful way. That's an amazing story. Then I tell another story not that many people know. Sergeant York, he was a hero of World War I. He was convinced because of his very strong Christian faith that he shouldn't, he shouldn't kill. He says, the Bible says, you know, do not kill. And I, therefore, I can't go to war. And he had, like a lot of evangelicals, a very simplistic view of Scripture. They pull out a, a verse, and instead of looking at the whole council of Scripture and the whole history of the church and the tradition to try to understand what is God saying, uh, so it took him a while till he finally decides, okay, I, I think I can go to war. And then he becomes one of the greatest heroes in any war we have ever fought. Just a stunning, beautiful uh, story of heroism. And the last two folks in the book are Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who I know a lot of young people don't know who he is. You, you must know he is one of the giants of the 20th century. There is no doubt that he's one of the absolute giants of the 20th century and that he, uh, he, his story should be known. Uh, he, he once said, one word of truth outweighs the world. And he lived his life in that way. He was a Christian. It's just a story of courage like, you know, none you'll read. Just an amazing man. He was he wrote the famous book, The Gulag Archipelago. Uh, and, and there's no doubt that because of his bravery and perseverance, that communism fell. The Soviet Union fell because of the pen and the typewriter of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who suffered horribly as well. And then the last man in the book is Billy Graham. Uh, who I, I think needs no introduction, but a lot of people don't know the beginning of his life and how he came to be who he came to be. So those are the, those are the seven men. And, you know, the reason I chose them is because uh, I, I, I ran out of space. Once you choose seven, you're done. <laughs> there, there are so many others that, you know, I'd love to write a third volume, but right now I'll have to stick with this. In a year from now, I'm coming out with seven more women. Oh, and uh, I just think people need to know these stories. And I, I particularly think young people, I've written it in a way that's not literarily difficult uh, or challenging that that if you're not a huge reader, you know, the, these books are not on a simple level, but they're certainly not difficult. And so people who aren't big readers usually say to me, I read your seven men book. I read your seven women book. And I hope the same is true of seven more men. But I particularly hope young people will pick it up, teenagers, because 
they're the ones that need heroes very badly. And I, I want them to know here are some heroes from history that God says, that's my idea of greatness. Check it out. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, it's interesting, Eric, as I was reading through the book just over the last couple of weeks and just, you know, thinking about and reflecting on, you know, so reading your book in one hand and then, uh, you know, blogs and news reports, you know, on the other side of, of everything that we're experiencing yeah. as, as a world, it, it was interesting. And I'm curious, as we find ourselves in the midst of this global crisis, what would you say that we can really take away from from these seven men about facing difficult challenges? Well, I think it's something that you don't even have to explicate it. It comes naturally. When you read these stories, you, you, you're encountering human beings who have lived bravely, beautifully, uh, faithfully, and it just it affects us. You know, God created us in his image. And so we, the best way to teach is through other people and through the stories of other people. Mm -hmm. And when you encounter these stories, they inspire you, they affect you. Now, part of what's happening, of course, is you're getting perspective because when you read what they went through, what we're going through seems like nothing, or at least puts it in its perspective. Uh, and I think it's very important. I think that we've been so coddled in America. I was saying to my wife, our generation, the most bizarre thing, the, the weirdest thing about our generation is that it's been so normal. There's never been a generation that didn't have catastrophes. And, you know, like <laughs> we, we've not lived through the depression or, or a major war uh, in the way that, you know, World War II was a major war that just stops everything for several years. And, and I really think that uh, we need to have some perspective. And by God's grace, we're getting some of that through this uh, pandemic. We're getting appreciation of things that maybe we didn't appreciate appreciate before. We didn't appreciate being able to run to a grocery store, get whatever I feel like, uh, or being able to go and do whatever I feel like doing. We never appreciated our freedoms. And I think that uh, we never appreciated being able to go to church and worship uh, with our brothers and sisters. These are things that God gives us. And I'd like to think that this book and these stories uh, gives something similar, gives us some perspective on our own situation and therefore enables us to live in a way that glorifies the Lord more than if we didn't know these things. Yeah, that's good, Eric. You know, it's interesting as we look at those lives that we would um, perhaps maybe label as as a hero. You know what I mean? It seems like all of those lives encounter some sort of great challenge, difficulty, a crisis. Talk to us a little bit about, because you've, you've not only had conversations with a ton of, of um, living heroes, but you've studied so deeply a ton of, of heroes who've come before us. Talk to us a little bit about how, how does this idea of tremendous challenge or crisis play into people who, who you know, kind of shine forth as, yeah. as what we would consider a hero? Well, I think that we're seeing some of it now with this, uh, with the pandemic, right? Is that when, when you're squeezed, you see what comes out, you see what you're made of. Mm. And um, we haven't been challenged that much uh, in, in our generation. Most of the people in this book did have severe challenges. Now, some of them uh, come all at once in, you know, uh, in, in ways that we can easily put our finger on. Uh, sometimes, you know, there are people like Billy Graham and George Whitfield. It's not so easy to see like, oh, there's the big crisis, but their life was filled with crisis. Their mm -hmm. life was filled with being forced to lean on God just to get through the day. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, there are people on the other hand 
uh, who their their life was almost nothing but crisis. Alexander Solzhenitsyn being thrown into the gulag by Stalin, uh, which was a work camp that we cannot imagine uh, the crucible of suffering that that he was put into. But as a result of that, it changed him in such a way that he becomes one of the prophets of the 20th century, a prophet uh, of freedom, uh, of faith, in a way that, you know, he had a credibility that, that no one else really um, could have. I mean, the, the, the racism that uh, George Washington Carver went up against while he's trying to teach himself and the, the limitations, it, it, you cannot help but be inspired by these people. I mean, they're just, there's such beautiful stories and it helps you to deal with your own difficulties because we all have different kinds of difficulties. Even people who have what looks like an easy life, you know, your marriage, your kids, uh, what you're thinking about when you're all by yourself. Um, God knows that we need him and uh, he wants to make himself available. And I think sometimes through examples like this, that's the best way he communicates to us uh, what he is like and how he can speak to us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's good. Eric, your faith... um your faith plays an important role in your life, and anyone who's who's uh, uh, listened to your radio show or watched one of your your YouTube interviews, anyone who sees how you know has read your books and sees how how, how you write, you you don't really um, you don't shy away from your faith. I mean, you talk about um, Christ, you talk about the, the the light that He is, you talk about uh, you're you're open, uh, and, and you do it in such a way where you're not you know slamming someone over the head with your faith but it's a very you know it's a very encouraging like this is my life and in you know these are my experiences in your like vocational life has it always been easy for you to talk about your faith have has it always been kind of open for you to do that or is that something that has grown over time well i think a lot of times it's frankly it's impossible to do that you're, you're talking to people that they are it's very clear that they're they're not interested and that if you were to bring it up, that's the end of the conversation. And I think that, you know, unless the Lord nudges you to speak anyway, there are times to be quiet. Mm. And I think we have to learn, uh, you know, fr from the Holy Spirit and and just from life growing up, from getting wisdom, um, when to speak and when not to speak and how to speak. And, you know, some people have different giftings than others. Uh, I've become more outspoken as I've gotten older, I think because I just have a kind of confidence that I didn't have when I was younger, that I'm not so afraid uh, of, of speaking. But I don't think we should cast pearls before swine either. I think we have to be careful. A lot of times Christians think I'm getting credit if I'm yapping about Jesus. And it's like Jesus is giving you zero credit <laughs> unless uh, you are doing something uh, that he's called you to do or that is having actual effect. It doesn't matter if you're just yapping, you know. And I think that people misquote scriptures. They say, well, the, you know, the scripture does not come back void. It, it's like, well, the <laughs> word of God, the logos to theu, the anointed word of God cannot come back void. But you talking like a parrot on the street corner, you know, quoting scripture, that can come back very void. Usually right. it will come back void. You know, you need to really know, is God with me in this or am I just behaving in a religious way? And there are people... You know, you, you, you find people on the one hand who are behaving in this kind of religious way and sort of demanding that I'm going to do this and God has to do something out of it. And maybe in his grace, sometimes he does. But then there are other people that they never speak, that you could work side by side with them for five years and you'd never know that they're a Christian or anything. I think that we, we, um, we really have to be as bold as we can be. But in a loving, sensitive way, in a, in a way that doesn't push people away, in a way that draws people 
to us that makes them want to know more. And I really think that uh, if you have a a real relationship with the Lord, that becomes easier. But it's the answer is never uh, the same for two people. And I think a big part of the reason I do what I do publicly and and do my radio and TV is because I want to help people see what it looks like. Um, you know, to, to be a, a Christian in these different environments, talking to these different people. When do you say something? When do you not say something? Do you have to say something or is it okay to be quiet? You know, I, I, I feel like the Lord somehow uses me in a way to model that, uh, and I make mistakes, but but to model that in a, in a public way uh, so that people can get some sense of what is it like to talk to secular people or to somebody whose faith is different than my faith or whatever. Um, it's just something I do on my on the radio and TV program all the time, uh, and and of course in my in my real life. Uh, <laughs> not that, that isn't my real life. Yeah, that, that's that's great, Eric, and and I love what you said there about kind of the, the discernment, uh, you know, just uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to to prompt you and then you know step into that obedience, uh, but not just just tossing it out there left and right and somehow thinking that, you know, hey, I'm doing God a favor in a way, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because um, I think that's key. And, and, and one of the things you also mentioned is I think that's something that we grow into, right, um, uh, over time as as we— You, you, you know, need we, models. You need people right. to help you. Because I think, like, you, it's the classic thing. If somebody comes to faith and they, they won't shut up about Jesus and they drive everyone away and they think, wow, you're a f- religious fanatic. And, and you know what the problem is? They are a religious fanatic. Mm-hmm. Even though what they're saying might be true, they're delivering it in a way that doesn't show love. It just feels they don't have an ability to communicate. So you need elders, you need wiser people to, to, to help you, to model that, to give you a way to express your faith. Sometimes you don't get that, and, you know, the Lord the Lord works it out eventually. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I'd like to take back that I said when I first came to faith, and I can't. But, you know, you live your life, and hopefully people get to see you over time, and they can make their own decisions. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Eric, tell me, in, in your role and in, in how your life is um, unfolding, you know, at this point, or the last, you know, handful of years— you have the opportunity, you know, you have lots of opportunities in front of you and have been able to step into some things um, uh, because of your writing, because of your show, those types of things. What have been, um, like, what's what's been maybe the greatest challenges that you've faced, that you've faced, rather, as, as these doors have been opened? As a person of faith, uh, what are some of the challenges that you've run up against? Well, the biggest one in recent years was when I felt a compulsion to support this president because I knew that um, that that might not be popular the way it would be in the past because, you know, you never want to sacrifice the gospel for politics. But I felt a kind of compulsion from what I really believe was the Lord uh, to, to step out there. And I think that that's we all come to a place where at the end of the day, we're saying, Lord, I'm looking to you right now. There is no map. There is nothing in mm-hmm. Scripture to make clear to me what I do right now. I have to look to you. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, it takes a little courage. But the fact of the matter is, if you're really looking to the Lord and you know who he is, he gives you that, you know. And so he He, he doesn't want us uh, to be, you know, clanging cymbals. Uh, he wants us to, to do everything we can. That was a challenge for me. And I think that it, it, it forced me out of my, you know, comfort zone, as they say, to say, so what is that balance? When do I say something? When do I keep my mouth uh, shut? When am I offending somebody? Uh, and, and I think that that's, you know, it's put me in an uncomfortable place where I'm forced to lean on the Lord more 
and I say, thank you, Jesus, right. because that's that's where I want to live. But I do think I've come to this conclusion mainly because of my Bonhoeffer book that a lot of times Christians have shrunk from the political. There's some people that are too political. They make an idol of politics. But many Christians um, have also shrunk from the political because they say, well, I just want to preach the gospel. And the problem is there is no such thing as the gospel outside of politics, because if there's a slave in chains and you say, I'm not going to comment on that, I don't want to get political. Then my question is, where's the gospel in your life if you're unwilling to risk something by speaking out for those that Jesus commands us to speak out for. I feel the same way about the unborn. Mm-hmm. I see see the same way about people struggling with their sexuality. If I don't hold up a biblical standard of sexuality, and I'm ignoring that person who is having a struggle there, and I'm saying, just listen to what the world says, I don't care. It doesn't impinge on the gospel. Well, of course it impinges on the gospel. So we're all called in different ways um, to be political. The question is how and when, but I, I I worry when the church kind of acts like, oh, that's not my thing. I'm just going to talk about, you know, what the scripture says. Uh, well, the problem is the scripture says we've got to care about others. If you care about the poor, you're going to have to figure out which party is helping the poor in a more biblical way. So we all struggle with these things. Mm-hmm. And I have struggled with these things lately. But Bonhoeffer's story, he's the one that gave me the courage to say, look, some of your friends aren't going to understand you. Uh, but at the end of the day, you need to worry about what the Lord thinks. And that's, it can be lonely, but uh, there's a joy when you know that you're doing what you're doing unto the Lord. And even if you're getting it wrong, the Lord loves you uh, and he will forgive you. And so the Bonhoeffer story really spoke to me in that. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's helpful. As we close down our time, Eric, it's been great chatting with you. Super excited for your newest book, Seven More Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. But as we kind of close things down, um, you've got the ear of, pastors and ministry leaders um, right now. Do you have any kind of final words of, of encouragement that you might offer to them? Well, I think that um, many times we in America, we suffer from being too nice. And, you know, my dad is from Greece. My mom's from Germany. They grew up during the war. And I grew up different than a lot of American kids, you know, and my parents would just, you know, say stuff that other parents wouldn't say. And, and I think to myself that, Sometimes, you know, when we're representing Jesus and we're trying to do the right thing, we can err too easily on the side of being nice or not saying something. I think we have to learn to say some things that we may lose somebody. Somebody might say, well, I'm not coming back to that church, but we have to trust God that somebody will come to that church because you're willing to speak out on that issue. You've got to do it in the right way. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about being a, uh, you know, an air horn, Uh, (laughs) but I'm talking about understanding the times in which we live, that if the church does not become the church, become the people of God, willing to risk losing my 501c3 status, we're not living on that edge. Mm. And I really think that we have self-censored and that we're not doing anybody any favors. I mean, you know, we can become North Korea or we can become China or we can become a lot of countries in Europe where if you dare to speak about a scriptural view of sexuality or about the unborn or even just about the gospel in the wrong way, they're gonna come down on you like a ton of bricks. And I think we need to cherish the freedom we have, the religious freedom we have in America, and we need to use it now because it is being challenged. If we don't use it and if we don't push back when the government is trying to push us into a little religious corner, we have no one but ourselves to blame. And it is not obedience to God, it's lack of obedience to God. So I think that uh, really, the pastors need to embrace embrace that. And the more prayed up we are and the more 
close we are to the Lord, the less the less fear we have because we know He's the one uh, that determines our futures and determines the futures of our churches, and that and we need to model that kind of faith and courage for our congregation because they're going through it too and they're they're watching us, you know. So uh, again, the, most of that I get from from Bonhoeffer. I think that somehow the Lord spoke that to me through his life and gave me a kind of a courage that I know I didn't have before. Yeah, I love that, brother. Great stuff, Eric. Thank you so much for making the time to hang out with us. And again, we'll have links in our show notes for our listeners to your newest book, Seven More Men, and uh, also to your show. Um, so people can check out and, and search through and find some amazing interviews that you've done. So I just appreciate your heart. I appreciate um, just the way that you uh, speak and champion the love of Christ in in a way that's really accessible. And, and that's one of the things I certainly appreciate about you is that uh, the openness of your life and uh, your um, sensitivity to others, uh, wherever they might be on their journey. It's, it's, it's super inspiring and encouraging. So thank you, Eric. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And thanks for this opportunity. God bless you. God bless you, brother. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day, encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.